I want to speak this evening on Christ's millennial kingdom and God's eternal heaven. Christ's millennial kingdom and God's eternal heaven. Revelation 21 verse 1 says, And I saw a new heaven, the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for the sense of your spirit in our meeting tonight. Father, we want to thank you for the sense of your presence in the midst of us. We want to thank you that even as we have worshipped, we have sang the name which is above every other name, the name of Jesus. He is Lord and he is God. He is King and he is over all. And we worship you tonight and we love you. We ask you now, Father, that you would settle us in your house and in your presence. We ask you, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and lead us and guide us tonight through the word. We ask you tonight, Father, that you would, Lord, speak to every person under this roof tonight and all who will hear this message, that they may be prepared and that they may be ready for the coming of the Lord. Draweth nigh. So in Jesus' name we come and in his name we ask it. And we give you all the glory. Amen. John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Notice, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. Now something I want you to catch here. I do not believe it means the literal body of water on earth for sea. For throughout the book of Revelation, although there are areas where you may find through the Bible where it speaks of the literal sea, this usually speaks of uh, trouble, uh, troubled nations and troubled kingdoms. Nevertheless, there's a new heaven and a new earth to come. And you and I are living in the first heaven and the first earth. Isaiah the prophet speaks about this in chapter 65 and verse 17. The Lord inspires him to say, For behold, the Lord says, I create a new, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. The former or the first heaven and the first earth shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Now, I just want to set something down because many of us are told that we'll float off into somewhere in outer space and be there forever and ever and ever. The Bible does not teach that. It does not teach that. Why would it concern us a new heaven and a new earth if we're already in heaven? Here we're told there's a new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. In other words, God has promised a better place than where we're living today. God has promised a better world in which we are living today. God has promised a better earth and its conditions. And God has promised a better heavens. Now when we say the heavens, generally there are three heavens mentioned in Scripture. The first heaven is where you'd get on an aeroplane and fly through the air to go to another country. The second heaven is the heavens we're trying to know, which is known as outer space, where the planetary systems are. And the third heaven 
is the abode of the angels with Almighty God. And that heaven is perfected right now as we speak. It needs no renovation. It needs no adjustment. It is perfected with God's almighty presence. But the Lord says that he will make a new heavens and a new earth, speaking of the first heaven where we fly through in an aeroplane and the second heaven known as the planetary systems or outer space. God says the former sorrows are of the earth, the former sorrows from the fall of man, the former sorrows from Adam's fall in the garden, which brought forth death and sickness and all those things that plague us, the Lord says, shall be so far removed from our minds, shall be so far removed from recurring ever again that the very remembrance of them will be obliterated by the presence of Almighty God. His mercies and His grace will be so evident. His presence will be so powerful and uninhibited by your flesh or by mine because we'll be changed at the coming of Christ in the moment and in the twinkling of an eye. And because of that, we're told that the the former earth, the former heavens will be no more. You won't even remember it. All the heartaches of this earth will be gone. All the sorrows and all the tears and all the aches and all the pains and all the worries and all the stresses and all the striving and all the sin and all the madness and all the things that we see that are going around, the wickedness and the unrighteousness will all be removed, will be no more, neither will it even be in your mind because Almighty God will change you. That's why when we're saved, we start learning to grow, to be like God's Son. Learning and failing, nevertheless walking in His grace, trusting in His grace to keep us going on with God. Learning His Word, living by His Word. Living by His Word that we may be conformed to the image of Christ. That when Christ returns, we will be those who are bowing the knee now in this earth in order to be bowing the knee and serve us in the world that is to come. Now stay with me. Listen to, me, to Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. And if you were to look at Psalm 102, the psalmist here writes a little caption at the very start of verse 1, the reason for this psalm. Notice what it says. It says that this is a psalm of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. This is a psalm of the afflicted. In other words, here's a man whose heart has been so afflicted, who's been put into such turmoil, that he's now writing, pouring out his complaint before Almighty God. And the word overwhelmed here is the same word for when he says in Psalm 61 and verse 5, When mine heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And the word there for overwhelmed in both these verses gives the idea of a shroud being thrown over one's head. A shroud of blackness and a shroud of darkness. Maybe it's a shroud of addiction. Maybe it's a shroud of sorrow. Maybe it's a shroud of weariness. Maybe it's a shroud of mourning. Maybe it's a shroud of loss. Maybe it's a shroud of hurt and pain. Or whatever that shroud, that blackness and darkness falls over your head and you can see no way out. 
There's nowhere to turn. There's nowhere to go. Here the Lord has him through his anointed pen. He writes, when mine heart is shrouded with darkness, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In other words, transport me, Lord, and lift me up on high that I may lay down upon the things that befall me and beset me. Here again, the psalmist says, this is a psalm for the afflicted and those who are shrouded with darkness. Am I speaking to someone tonight who's shrouded with darkness, whatever that darkness is, and you just can't see your way out of things, you don't know where to turn and you don't know where to look, and you're addicted to something or something's pulling your heart and you just can't break free from it, well, I can tell you tonight, if you call on the Lord, he will answer your prayer by hearing your cry. And if you give yourself to Christ tonight, he will transport you to the rock that is higher than I. He will set your feet upon the great foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and his mighty, powerful salvation and redemption that is found in him by grace through faith alone. Maybe I'm speaking to someone and your heart's shrouded with darkness, shrouded with the things of this world and you cannot break free. Here, my friend, is the night for liberty. Here is the night when Christ can set you free if you call upon his name. Notice what the psalmist says, Psalm 102, verse 25, reading onward. Of old thou hast laid the foundations of the earth. Now keep notice this. And the heavens are the work of thy hands. Here's the heavens and the earth. Verse 26. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them. They shall be changed. The idea here is that the heavens and the earth will be renovated. They will be made new. This earth will be like Eden all over again. The heavens will be changed. Well, there's no uh, planets in our solar system. Uh, We don't know exactly how it is, but it will be completely made new with life flowing from God's heaven to this earth and back again. And everywhere that we could ever think of and everywhere that we could ever look to, we'll find nothing but the life and the presence of Almighty God. He will be uh, the king over all the universe and over all of this earth. Notice this. They shall perish. Thou shalt endure. Here he's saying, these things, this earth that men so badly murder over and kill over, this earth where men fight over and the oil riches and the reserves that are under the ground and the, the shale gas and, and the riches of diamonds and precious stones and gold and all those things men get caught up with and, and, and take each other right to death and murder and slaughter one another. All the things that men hold dear in this earth. Notice what it says. It says, all of this will wax old like a garment. Do you know what that means? It gives the idea that whenever you're wearing your clothes and your elbows or your knees, and it starts to wear thin, and you realize, you know, I need a new pair of trousers, or you used to put a patch on it. You used to you don't get patches anymore. You used to put a patch on it. Or you used to darn the sock. Now it's just throw them away and buy a new pair. It gives the idea, it says, the earth will start to wear. Look at our earth tonight. Look at the earthquakes like never before, the volcanoes that are erupting. Look at all the things that are happening and the tsunamis that are recorded. Look at the floods and look at the pestilences. Look at the famines. 
Look at the fires where there used to be water and water where there used to be fires. You look at it and the earth is groaning and it's travailing. In other words, it's waxing old and it's saying, Oh Lord, come soon. It gives the idea that it is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, Paul tells us. The earth itself is groaning every time. And it's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. What is the manifestation of the sons of God? In its fullness, the manifestation of the sons of God is when Christ returns and we are caught up and we are changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at his return. And we return with him to rule and reign in his millennial kingdom. This earth is waxing old. And notice what it says here. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. In other words, the Lord never waxes old. And all of them shall wax old like a garment. And as a vesture, thou shalt change them, and thou shalt be changed. I trust, brother, you change your socks every day. And other things. Nevertheless, if you didn't, it would wax old like a garment. And the idea here is there's a vesture, there's a coat, there's a cloak, and it needs re changed on you. It needs changed. And here the psalmist is saying, Lord, all of this that man fights over and argues over, all of this that we hold dear, that we strive for in our work, and the positions that we want to have, and the riches that we desire, he says, all of it will vanish away. But you, O oh Lord, will remain forever. Our good times at the weekends will vanish away. But we will stand before the eternal God. You remain forever. But thou art the same, he says, and thy years shall have no end. Here the unchanging God is brought into view. The heavens and the earth will be renewed. Listen to what Isaiah says. In Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 22. Isaiah 66 and 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Now I hear God saying that his seed on the earth will remain. In other words, the name of Christ and us who are in Christ, here he's saying to Israel, this name will last. One comes out of Israel, the Lord Jesus. And it will last and remain before me all those who are in him, redeemed by his blood. As the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Verse 23, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Do you know Isaiah has this way as he prophesies? He projects us away into the future. And here he's projected us away into the future. There's a new heavens and a new earth. You know what he's done? He's projected us past the second coming of Christ. He's projected us right through the millennial thousand-year reign and rule of Christ. And he's projected us whenever the great white throne judgment is over. And he has shown us the new heavens and the new earth. Now, when he comes to 23, he reverses us back again. The new heavens and the new earth. Do you see your goal? Do you see where you should be? Can you see, friend, where your need is? 
that you make sure you're right with Christ, that you're trusting in his blood, that you're trusting in his finished work, for therein is the new heavens and the new earth. Therein is where God's presence will be. And therein you should be. And if you're not in Christ, you'll never be. Isaiah brings us right back to verse 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, notice all flesh shall come and worship before me, saith the Lord. In other words, when he returns, now we're looking at the millennial kingdom. And he's saying, whenever I return and set up my kingdom, all the flesh of the earth, whether willing or unwilling, will come and bow the knee before me. They will come and realize that I am the Lord. They will come and realize that I am the king. They will come and realize that I am the one true living God. They will come and bow to me. Yahweh said that of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now stay with me, notice this. Isaiah 66. So at the end of uh, this book of Isaiah, the last chapter, it would be a scroll in the, in, the, in the original writings. And that we have a great difference and a great contrast which is made between the beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, and the ending of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 66. In Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord rebukes Israel because of their worship, which was false. He rebukes them because of the sin of their nation. He rebukes them, and listen to what he says. Turn, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 1. Right from the outset, this is what the Lord says. Let your eye run down just for time's sake to verse 4. And he says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger, they are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken any more? Will you revolt more and more? The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been clothed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Here the Lord looks upon the people, and he looks upon the nation of Israel at this time, and he says, you're like a stinking sore that is putrefying before me. The sin that you're getting up to and the ways of your nation and the government of your land. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is Brittany's looking at tonight. This is what our nation's like tonight in the sight of Almighty God. This is what Great Britain and the United States is like tonight in the sight of Almighty God. When he sees what's happening, when he sees what's happening even to his own day, the Lord's day, he looks at it and he says, it's stinking before me. I'm going to come in judgment. Everything is desecrated in our land. Christians are now being persecuted in our land. The Lord's day is like every other day in our land. Listen, is it strange that when Northern Ireland have their first international uh, match on a Lord's day, that the stand starts to fall down after it? Is that an accident? It's not an accident. God is showing that he's displeased with it. God is showing his power and he's saying, I'm displeased with it. Use this as a warning. 
Great Britain, whenever I see these mosques going up, Great Britain, whenever I see the idolatry in the land, when I see the debauchery in the land, when I see young children being used and abused and murdered, he says, it comes up like a stench in my nostrils. He says, and I hate it. God is so unpleased with Britain tonight. Watch the judgment of God fall in this nation as it continues into a pit of sin. He says, when I look at you, when I look, he says, in your depraved ways, your shallowness of worship, he says, you've given your heart to everything. Church, are you listening? He says, you have given your heart to everything. You've given your heart to every idol. You've given your heart to every way. You've given your heart to every desire. You've given your heart to everything, he says, but to me. Your heart isn't mine, he says. Isaiah 66, the end of this, when we're reading this, is God has come in flesh in the person of his son, He has bled and died for our sin and he shed his precious blood that we would be redeemed and forgiven and cleansed. He's went to the grave and he's conquered the grave and he's ascended into heaven. He's glorified and seated at the right hand of God. Now waiting for his return again is where you and I are. And Isaiah 66, Isaiah shows us. He shows us the new heavens and the new earth that are yet to come. Oh yes, there's a God in heaven and, and God's in his heaven uh, and when we pass this scene, the time is absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Of course it is. But that's not the end of God's plan for you, brothers and sisters. That's not the end of it. Notice here in verse 23, after God's glory, God's goodness through his Son and God's grace, in the new millennium, he says, all flesh shall come and worship before me. Do you see all those men and all those women who shake the fist of God at God? Do you see all of them who deny that there's a God? Do you see those who glibly, whether it's on radio or television or out in the streets, see all of those who know, want to know nothing about God and would spit at heaven as it were? He says, they will come and they will bow before me. Isis will bow before him. Christ-rejecting Jews will bow before him. Christ-rejecting Protestants will bow before him. Christ-rejecting Roman Catholics will bow before him. Every man and woman who reject him will bow before him. All flesh shall come to me, and they will worship you are the king. This is the millennial kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ where Isaiah has brought us into. This is Isaiah 45 and verse 23. This is very poignant. Notice this. The Lord speaks himself and he says, I have sworn by myself. In other words, the Lord can find none faithful to swear by, to make a pact with, to make a covenant with. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness. It shall not return. 
that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Notice what he says, that unto me. Who said those words? Who is Isaiah uh, influenced by? Who is speaking here? Yahweh, Almighty God himself. He says, unto me every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall swear. Now listen to this. That's the Old Testament. And notice after the cross of Christ, Romans chapter 14 and verse 11. When you see the words that Paul shows us, and he takes from this as well. Paul writes, for it is written, in other words, in the prophecy of Isaiah, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So we're talking about Yahweh. We're talking about the Almighty here. He says, every knee will bow to me. Now notice this. Philippians chapter 2 tells us exactly who this one is. They will bow to. Philippians 2 verses 9 to 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here the Son of God who hung and bled and died at Calvary's tree for you and me who has risen from the dead and ascended into glory, is our great high priest who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, who will return again with great power and glory, will sit upon his throne. His name is Jesus, and every knee will bow. Of things in heaven. Do you know when the name of the Lord Jesus is mentioned in heaven? Every angel will fold their wings. Every elder will fall on their face. Every creature bows in reverence and they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Every one of them in heaven at the name of Jesus. Yet in this nation of ours, in these British Isles of ours, his name is a byword and a curse word and it's a swear word. Yet all of heaven folds its wings and prostrates themselves and bows in wonder and in admiration to him and they proclaim him as Lord over all. Things in heaven and things on earth, it's coming. Listen, what's the Lord, what's the prayer? We said it today. This morning, me man said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, what is like in heaven, let it be done on earth. Whatever is going on in heaven, Father, will you let it come on on earth? Our Father, it's art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Is there ever a time that God's name is never hallowed? His name is always hallowed at every moment of every hour of every day. His name is holy. It's always hallowed. But what is the Lord saying? He says, let it be hallowed where? On this earth. Bring your name to this earth in power. Let your name be reverenced among men and women. And in the nations that you have made covenant with, he says, bring it to these men and women, Lord. 
And let it be hallowed. There'll not be one man, there'll not be one woman nor one young person that will have the name of Jesus on their tongue that will not feel they must fall on their faces and prostrate themselves before him. Not one will say a byword or a curse word in the name of the Lord. They'll all bow to him. Even in earth, the Queen Elizabeth will give up her throne for him. Barack Obama, I hope he's not in the White House when he comes. When he comes. Here, every tongue in heaven, every nail by and every tongue confess in heaven, earth, and under the earth. When he comes, the dead in Christ will rise at his very word. The dead in Christ will rise from their graves. Little grave down here in Donnacrony. Those who have died as a Christian died in the Lord Jesus. When he comes and breaks the skies, they will hear the trump of God. They will hear the voice of that archangel. A war cry will be made in the heavens and the very dead DNA will come together bone against bone and flesh and flesh and God will raise them up. You'll see graves opening out. People say it's secret. What's secret about that? Here is the millennial kingdom of Christ when he changes that body. He reigned and reigned and reigned with him a thousand years. Listen, Isaiah 66 and verse 23. All flesh shall come to worship, of, to worship before me, saith the Lord. Verse 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. There's a war happens when Christ returns. He rules the nations with a rod of iron for a thousand years. There's going to be war all over. There'll be what we know as Armageddon and Christ will come at some point. We don't know when, we don't know how, but we know he will come and there'll be a war going on and Christ will come and he'll defeat every enemy of God. Our carcasses will be everywhere and we'll be changed when we're caught up. Notice to go forth upon the carcasses of men that have transgressed against me. Notice this, for their worm. Notice, note the word now. Their worm shall not die. Their worm. You have your own personal worm waiting for you. Their worms shall not die. Neither shall their fire be quenched. And they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. This reminds me of something else that has happened. The Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse 43 Speaking of those who are allowing things to hinder them coming to him for salvation. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell. Into fire that never shall be quenched. Verse 44, were the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. Did you get that? Where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. Isaiah says, you will see these people at the great white throne judgment where's a lake of fire that is unquenchable. He says, and there's a worm that doesn't die. 
annoying worm, something that will eat at their soul forever. The word here where the Lord Jesus says of having it's better to cut off a hand and go into life than to have two hands and go into hell. The word hell here is Gehenna. And the word Gehenna here was a it was a ravine that ran northwest around Jerusalem, the southwest. Northwest to southwest. And when Ahaz was the king in Judah, that's the southern kingdom years before. He started what was known as fire worship, those different gods like Molech. They used to take their children and put them into these cast iron uh, gods that they had built and used to stoke the fires in them and used to put their babies in them and boil them to death. There you are. There's our God. He wants to kill my children. What a God of love we have. King Josiah was a reformer in, in the house of Judah. And he cut all of this out. And what they used it for them was a refuge dump. And all the sacrifices or all the animal carcasses with all the bits of flesh on it were thrown into this great ravine from northwest to southwest. But it started to stink and worms would breed in. And they started to light fires to try and burn it out, to uh, burn all the rubbish up because it's piling up. And this is where we get the idea. The Jews then thought of this. That must be what hell is like. Even a part of it. Worms were gnawing at the offal that were throughout the innards of the animals that were cast away. And the fire was burning night and day. And Christ would say, do you see like the fires of Gehenna? Do you see like the worms in Gehenna? Where it's gnawing, he says, that is what hell is like. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, it talks about the great lake of fire. And read it when you go home, where all those who were not found in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. And the beast is in it. And the false prophet is in it. And the dragon, the devil, is in it. Don't you go there. They ask you a question if you don't know Christ as your Savior. Will you be in the new heaven and the new earth? Will you be with Christ which is far better? Is it eternal life for you or eternal punishment? Is it heaven or is it hell? Listen. Is it worship or is it the worm? What is it for you? Is it unrelenting love from the Father that you'll receive in the person of Christ and his dying love at Calvary for you? And accepting what he has done, or is it unquenchable fire spoken of in Revelation 20 and 15? Listen, friend. Listen carefully. And this is what I've wrote. Don't miss heaven for the world. Don't miss heaven for this earth. Don't miss heaven for the riches of it. 
Don't miss heaven. God's heaven that is coming or God's heaven should you die. Don't miss heaven for your friends. Don't miss heaven for your desires. Don't miss heaven for your addictions. Don't miss heaven for a good time at the weekends. Don't miss heaven for the lusts of your flesh. Don't miss heaven for all your family and all those who may come against you should you surrender yourself to Christ. Don't miss heaven, friend, for anything. Don't miss heaven in your stubbornness. Aye, some other time. Second Peter 3 and 13 2 Peter 3.13, listen to what Peter says. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise. What promise? The promise from Isaiah. According to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. The word here for new is the word kianos. It means new in quality. New in quality. It means God's going to make it so brilliant you'll never even be able to think how good it would be. See our beautiful scenery that we have and, you know, Ireland, 40 shades of green and all this wonderful stuff, you know. And it's beautiful. It's nothing compared to what God is preparing for you. The worn out, tired, depleted, travailing earth, marred by the fall of man, marred under the dominion of man, and marred throughout the ages of man. The earth shall be renewed, renovated, restored and replenished, and the heavens also will be the same. In other words, there'll be no pollution in the air. There'll be no pollution of aeroplanes in the sky. Listen, there'll be no pollution in outer space. There's tons and tons and tons of debris that man has sent up out in the outer space. Tons of it. There won't be any pollution. In fact, there's going to be so much happening there. We're not even going to know it. God is going to make it so lovely and full of splendor. Listen, there'll be no pollution in the sky. There's no ozone layer damages they're trying to tell us about. None of it will be there. When Christ returns in God's new heaven and earth, come to us. Listen to this. There will be no devil there. No temptation. No devil. He's on a lake of fire. He's tormented for night and day forever. There's no devil there. There's no earth's curse there. The devil is known as the prince of the power of the air. He won't be there. And everything will be way beyond the stretch of man's imagination. Isaiah 64 and verse 4 says this, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor received by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Paul says, looking at Isaiah 64, now in the far side of the covenant which Christ has made with us, in 2 Corinthians 2 and 9, Paul says, but as it is written, quoting Isaiah 64, but as it is written, 
I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Did you notice the stipulation? It's the stipulation of the cross. It's a stipulation that knowing you love him because he first loved you and sent his son to die for you and you've received Christ and God, and, and, and Paul says, God has prepared something for you. It's so fabulous and fantastic. He says, you'll never be able to explain it. Friend, are you going to miss this for what this world has in temporary measures? God prepared a sacrifice. He prepared a savior. He prepared salvation. He prepared a kingdom. And Christ the king is coming. So John says in John 21 and 1, And I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. Now John sees this kingdom past. Christ's return and his millennial reign. The new heaven and the new earth is the earthly, or the heavenly kingdom of God upon the earth. Revelation 21 and verse 4. I want to look in our closing statements here. Some things that will not be needed in God's eternal heaven. I want to say it again. Some things that will not be needed, nor will be in God's eternal heaven. Revelation 21 in our closing statements here tonight. First of all, let's read verse 4. Revelation 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There'll be no tears. And there shall be no more death, no separation from your loved ones. Neither sorrows nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain Knows for the former things. Remember what Isaiah said? You will not remember the former things, for the former things are passed away. Notice what he says if you'll flick over to verse 22, just for time's sake. You can read the chapter maybe when you go home. Here's something else that isn't in it. I saw no temple therein. There's no temple to worship in it. I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple thereof. And let me just give you this briefly. In the Old Testament, God had a tabernacle and then a temple. And God met man at the Ark of the Covenant in that little room, the holy place. And only there in the whole of this earth, only there in the whole of the universe, would God meet man. Just there, he says, I will meet thee there he says, and I will speak unto thee there. Just there. So if you want to meet me, he says, you come my way. You meet me where I have ordained. You come to where I say. And it's the same as the cross. If you want to meet God, you meet him at the cross. If you want to know God, you know him at the cross. If you want to be with God, then you be there first at the cross. He says, it's my way and not your way. First of all, there's a tabernacle, then there's the temple. God makes a dwelling place for man. Christ comes and he bleeds and dies and rises again. And after he does, he pours out his spirit and he makes 
And then God makes man his temple. So man makes God a temple for him to dwell in. Then, he, then God makes man his temple for him to dwell in. And now in the new heavens and the new earth, there is no temple. We're the temple. But suddenly it changes and says, Lamb and, of, and God, they are the temple. Or he is the God-man. God's spirit is the temple. Here we think of our Lord Jesus in John 17. Father, I pray that I would be in them as thou art in me. The one great eternal spirit. We're all one in him and he and us and we in Christ. And we're all one together. And it'll be one spirit. We'll be one body. We'll be one kingdom. We'll be one theocracy. God ruling through all and, and all. So first of all, man makes a temple for God in the Old Testament. God built a temple out of man in the New Testament. And God is the temple of man's continual dwelling in the new heavens and the new earth to come. Here's a wee tricky verse, and I'm watching the time. In 1 Corinthians 15, you're getting some teaching tonight. You're going to have to get a CD and listen to this all over again. You're going to have to download it. In 1 Corinthians 15, here's a wee tricky verse. Uh, Paul's talking about the resurrection of the dead. Christ that is coming. But then he brings us right again to the millennial reign's end when Christ sits on a great white throne of judgment and he judges those who are unsaved. And those who are not found written in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire. And death is cast into the lake of fire. In other words, death itself, the realm, the death becomes a personified, as it were, looming over man and all his ways, waiting for him every moment of every day. And you don't know when you take your next drug, will it be you? Or when you get into the next car, or when you walk down the next street, will it be you? looms like a, a personified figure over mankind from the fall of Adam. And the Lord Jesus defeated it at Calvary. And we're told that death is cast into the lake of fire. There's no more death. Notice this. This is the new heavens and the new earth now. Verse 27 and 28. First Corinthians 9. Let's read 28 just for time's sake. When all things shall be subdued under him. This is the millennial reign. Christ ruling. All flesh coming. When all things shall be subdued under him. Death being cast into the lake of fire. The judgment of the unsaved. When all things are subdued under Christ. He who is sitting upon the throne of Yahweh. When all things are subdued under him. That is Christ's millennial kingdom. He says then shall the son the Lord Jesus himself, Yahshua, then shall the Son also himself be subject to him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Have you ever read that? What, what does that mean? What does that mean, Jesus? There's coming a time at the end of the kingdom, you're going to hand everything to the Father. Yeah. About your kingship, it goes from a kingship to theocracy the way God made it at the start. He is the king. Christ will be a ruling subject 
over all the earth and universe as a man. But God will flow through him and be in all and through all. It's the best way I can think of it. That's a troublesome verse. But this is the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Here's something, Revelation 21, verse 23. Listen to this. The city had no need of the sun. It's a new earth. (laughs) Don't need it. New heavens. Don't need it. The city had no need of the sun, neither the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. The Lamb is the light thereof. In other words, the glory of God just illuminates everywhere the Father's glory. The Father's glory illuminates everywhere. That which is in heaven, the abode of the angels, will come in all its fullness. Yes, it's come in the Spirit now, where you and I are being tra- uh, conformed to the, the image of His Son and transformed by the renewing of our minds. Yes, that kingdom is coming in spiritual form, the ruling, reigning power of Christ in our lives. But in all its fullness and glory, there will not be one inch of the heavens of the outer space, nor the heavens we fly in to go to our holidays, nor this earth that will not have the brightness of God's glory all over this place. No need of a sun nor a moon. It will not be there. Revelation 22 and 3, there should be no more curse. We have mentioned it. Revelation 22 and 5, there will be no more night. Revelation 21 and 8 tells us, but there be, but the fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So none of those will be there. Here's a beautiful thing, and I do close with this. Revelation 22, verse 4 says, Revelation 22, verse 4, and they shall see his face. That's beautiful. They shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. And see his face. And all who he is will be in my mind, it means. He'll be all over me. My thoughts will be for him. His law will be in my heart. His abundant glory and grace will be everywhere. see his face most beautiful face if there's anything we want to see we want to see Jesus we want to see him he's the love of my heart it's the love of my heart. The Puritan Samuel Rutherford once said, Since he hath looked upon me, mine heart is not mine own, for he hath run away to heaven with it. 
He saved me. He captured my heart. You know, Jesus will not always be a mediator between God and men. An advocate nor a high priest. He will not always be a prophet for prophecy shall cease. When that which is perfect shall come. By the way, it hasn't come yet. And all of that will cease. He'll even hand whatever that means his kingdom to his father. But one thing he'll always be. One thing he will always be that will never change. He'll be my sin bearer. He'll be my savior and yours. He'll be the one who loved us and gave himself for us, the Lamb of God. He'll always be. He'll always be our kinsman. The redemption of Israel. The savior of the world. Tell you something. Eighteen years ago today, I lost my mummy. Just over last year, I lost my father. And just before that, I lost my two sisters. But I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to see them again. And so will you. But I'm going to be honest with you, and as much as it breaks my heart when I miss them, I'm going to see his face. I want to see him. I love them with all my heart, but I want to see him. We're going to sing, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Please, Margaret Ruth. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, a glorious day that will be. Sir, we would see Jesus, the Greek said. And I trust tonight you'll see Jesus. What a day. Friend, are you saved? When you see him. Are your sins forgiven? Will you see him? Is it the worship or is it the worm? Do you know God loves you so much? And he gave a son that you wouldn't go there. He gave a son that you wouldn't go there. He gave a son that you would not go to the place of fire. And a place where the worm dieth not. Listen, it's not popular to preach these things in church today. But you know what? I love you enough to tell you the truth. To tell you the truth. Without Christ, you're without hope. Let's stand and sing this. There's coming a day when no heartache shall come. No clouds in the sky. No more tear to dim the eye. All this peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day. A glorious day. That'll be. Bless the Lord. Let's stand and sing it then.